and we are live. So welcome to Scale Up Heroes, where we bring the best minds with the best real life experiences when it comes to scaling up businesses. They are heroes that took on difficult odds and lived to tell the tale. I'm Mike and I'll be your host today as Wendy Quintrell is not able to join today. I would like to invite you to visit our page at scaleupacademy.io to learn more about us. Today, we are discussing scaling up with Tor Angelo, the CEO at Order Yo-Yo from Copenhagen, and Oli Noxokoivisto, uh, the CEO at Talkdesk uh, from Helsinki. Leaddesk. Um, Leaddesk, <laughs> by, by apologies. And it was well, well written down here. Uh, my apologies, Oli, for that. So thank you so much for, for joining us today. It's really a pleasure to discuss scaling up with you. So. We have agreed that we will discuss how to go from 11 to 100 uh, employees, uh, roughly from 1 million to 10 million US dollars uh, ARR. Uh, and there are some interesting metrics that I usually like to share, which is only 4% of the companies surpass the 1 million US dollars uh, uh, in revenue. Only 0.4% surpass the 10 million. Uh, and less than 0.04%, the 100 million. So that's why we call the podcast Scale Up Heroes, because these are really the heroes uh, who are uh, scaling. It's, it's really, really difficult. So maybe we'll start by a brief introduction. Uh, Oli, to, for my apologies, let's start with Lead Desk, and then we will go to tour with Order Yoyo. Yeah, so uh, so uh, introduction on Lead Desk. So Lead Desk was established in 2010. Uh, and we provide the number one contact center software for the Northern Europe and the Dach region. Uh, we've got about 12,000 uh, agents doing their daily work on our system every week. And uh, we are now past $10 million, uh, $10 million mark. So 0.4%. Yeah. <laughs> And happy, happy to be there. Uh, for my part, my past, I've been, uh, I studied as a, I studied coding when I was really little, uh, began as an entrepreneur uh, when I was uh, 16. Uh, my first company, uh, done a exit uh, some time back and been on a uh, board, board of uh, management board in a company which went public into IT service segment in, uh, in Finland. And then I, I joined Lead Desk in 2013. Awesome. So we have today serial entrepreneurs. So because Tor also uh, built a company before. So Tor, feel free to introduce yourself too. Yeah. So um, I did my first company in 2000 and it took me 12 years to get to seven, eight European countries and 11, uh, sorry, 100 employees. Um, I sold my shares in that. Uh, had to search for a new idea for a couple of years. And then uh, three, three and a half years ago, I stumbled across uh, Audioyo and I went into that, invested, and now I'm the CEO of that. And, uh, and, and this company is much more, you know, venture capital fueled, so we can move faster. I now know kind of how to build a company. So now it can go faster and hopefully make less mistakes, still make some. Uh, and, um, in Audio.io, actually, we use uh, Leaddesk uh, in our company when we call out to um, customers. Um, we have uh, 2,000 restaurants on our system. And what we do is, is kind of like Shopify, but only for a very small niche, which is uh, takeaway. We make sure that a takeaway gets their own website and their own app. 
So we make app for every restaurant, you know, so we have 2000 apps in App Store on, on behalf of our restaurants. And we believe in just normal e-commerce should also appear for a B4 takeaway where they of course have their own website and their own app. And then they can maybe buy new restaurants, sorry, new customers from, from Google and so on. But returning customers should of course go to their own website. So we are trying to educate the, the business, sorry, the industry to, it has, doesn't have to be all just eat and the others. You should really own your own customers. So that's what we do. Got it. Thank you very much for the introductions, uh, Oli and, and, and Tor. So, uh, yeah, let's start with, with the, the first main subject that we wanted to discuss, how to go from 11 to 25, or, or maybe start, starting by discussing what you think are the main thresholds that you have faced more difficult to go from, you know, if it, we have selected this from 11 to 25, from 25 to 50, and from 50 to 100. Uh, does it resonate with you, Oli, uh, when you were growing? This, these are the main milestones and when things change a lot, or would you, would you select another threshold free, uh, to, to discuss? Yes, yeah, so I think from, uh, of course, getting up to 10, but maybe the first real threshold is like 20 to 25 people. I think you picked it quite well. Uh, this, of course, varies a little bit by industry and so on. Uh, but I think this is like the, especially for a product company, this is the golden time. So it's when you have your co-founder, co-founder there, uh, when the, you well, you are still under a million, not so many customers yet, and you can move very agile and really like, uh, just concentrate on building the product, concentrate on doing the sales. And it's the phase where you can uh, still break things, uh, and like, uh, still, still like uh, run as fast as you can. Mm -hmm. uh, you've got all your friends around you. You know everybody so well that you don't really have to like put that much time and effort into those kind of things. So everybody everybody around you is uh, fairly happy and you can, you still got your own pool where you can recruit from and so on. So I, th I think like getting to up to 20, 25 people, uh, I would just for or any company reaching there, just concentrate on uh, getting your sales up. So getting the figures up there in order mm -hmm. to uh, have enough customer base to uh, validate your product. Mm -hmm. That's also the time when you should pivot and uh, like all the growing pains uh, uh, should be there. I don't know, what do you think so? Is that yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't know, you know, exactly if you can say from 10 to 20 to 30 or 50 people, but you're right. There, there, there's something happening when you don't know everyone in the company and you don't know everything that goes on. So when you have 10 people, you almost know every customer that starts because you're like happy for everyone that comes in. Um, you know everything that we are building and everything. And then when you get to 30, 40 people, there's all of a sudden there is someone hired that you don't even know the name of, which is in the beginning embarrassing, but then you just realize that's how it is. And then um, you also go from looking at every customer to more look at, you know, overall data and statistics. Because when you have thousands of uh, customers and we have maybe a million different end users in our system ordering pizza, and not every day, but every month, um, and then you can't just look at every one of the things that are going on. You have to look at the overall. So that's a one, a very big change. Got it. And, and what do you think, Tor, about uh, what are the main challenges from going from 11 to 25 um, 
on your previous businesses and your your, think, your business today? Yeah, yeah. So for me, of course, if you look at employees, there's something called middle managers. So mm-hmm. um, when I started Audioyo, I was the only one experienced, and then I got a lot of great young people in, and they were really working hard. But at some point, you need to get more management resources into because you can't cover everything. So there's like all of a sudden there is both maybe not a, a layer under you, but you have to delegate uh, management to, uh, you know, someone on the same level, like C level. So you get a CFO, you get a CMO, you get a CSO, stuff like that. And then you have to leave that. So that's going to be a key hire, which are super important at that point. You know, when you're getting a lot of young people, some grow and some don't, but it's fine. But at some point you need to work on the, well, actually you work with the organization all the time. And that is a, a one big thing in itself to make sure you have the right people at the right places. But for me, when I look at a, the growth of a company, I see, you know, in the beginning you have an idea. And then what I very much focus on is what I call the product market fit phase that can take years. Um, and often when you look at big companies that you impress with, like Airbnb and so on, if you go back, they spend years, you know, finding the right way to go into the market. Like, are we going to rent out rooms or a couch or is it the whole apartment? And find out exactly how the product fits the market. And I think that can still happen when you're 10 people because you can change and you can uh, move around and you can easily, yeah, change and pivot and so on. We did the same. We pivoted two major pivots in our first year where we really changed target group. It wasn't always takeaway. We thought we were going to start with cafes, which didn't work. But when you get to 50 people, you can't just pivot. You can't just say, oh, tomorrow we'll do something else. Um, so as, as bigger you get, the more secure you know you have to be on, on where you, you want to go. Um, so for me, there is a product market phase that probably could be until 10, maybe 15 people. After that, you start hiring people for specific things and then you have to know that you're hitting the right market, the right product. And then you go into a growth phase uh, where you also get, you know, more funding if you want that. And they only want to do that if they're, you know, if you know where you're going. So I think for me, it's more like product marketing phase where you can, you know, go around and pivot a bit. And then you nail it and you show your numbers that, you know, we don't churn uh, restaurants and we don't. We can e- easily get them. We know how to get them, go to market. Like we use a, a lead disk um, software to call our customers and we know we can book meetings and we have sales guys following up. And when we get the model of how to grow, then you can you know, spend more money on growing. So for me, it's those phases. Yeah, yeah I think there's a lot of wisdom there. It's uh, like uh, after you know you've got the product market fit and that's about like you can't have more than 20 people before that for the precise reasons uh, described there. But uh, uh, And then then like uh, as you said, then the SaaS metrics actually start to kick in because then you have to start understanding the SaaS metrics behind there and how, how does your uh, bottom line work. Uh, and uh, for myself, uh, if I would do something differently, I would get a, a higher CFO earlier. I think that it's a key, uh, CFO is a key player in understanding then like when you have the product and you know you have the cust- you have customers and you can scale. Uh, and uh, then getting the CFO at that phase really uh, would have helped us. Uh, so would if we got that a bit earlier. 
the other thing I think is then uh, what you remember uh, mentioned is the uh, people. Uh, so up until that point, uh, uh, it's pretty much easier with with uh, hiring and all that part. But then then again, uh, going forward from there, having a good uh, resourcing on uh, the HR side, uh, also then helping out with the new managers uh, and really developing the company culture uh, and how how we do things together. I'm not uh, talking about uh, what they call in uh, Finnish, they call it uh, HR mama, uh, but rather uh, like a really uh, uh, like a partner, partner with the business in order to then help in scaling up. Got it. So uh, trying to summarize the, this first part of the discussion. So f going from uh, the two founders or three founders or even the solo founder from 10 employees, it's really about product market fit. Uh, then from 11 to, to 25, you start needing to understand what is our strategy to be even more focused, which, which could be very counterintuitive in the, in the sense that you think, okay, now I'm growing, maybe I need to open up new layers, new products, new segments, and maybe it's not now the, the moment if you want to scale. If you start adding complexity, it would be difficult. So from 10 to 25, it should be still uh, full speed on sales, right? So having a very good executive or even the founders very involved on sales it would be important. But then after the 25 to the 50, uh, starting having a, a, a management team, not maybe a full management team, as in uh, when you, we go to 100, starts being important. Uh, Oli also talking about having a CFO and the HR um, at that stage. So um, pretty interesting. Uh, so and now how to go from uh, 50 to to 100. So what were the main uh, shifts that you, that you at this stage, and even let, let's focus a little bit more on the people side of the business and the way you structured your team around you. Because in the, in the first stages, it was, as you said, almost about delegating tasks and having team, around, uh, team members around you doing specific parts of the business. And now it's mainly about delegating functions and sometimes even delegating functions that you are that you are very good at, like sales or marketing uh, in the beginning, which could be a little bit difficult for the founders and the CEO themselves. Did you face it as difficult, the let the control go and finding out people to start leading functions? And what were the first functions that you decided to delegate to your executive team? So maybe Oli, we can start with you. Uh, yeah, so, uh, well, firstly, if you think about it, if when you have 50 people, so if that's at the end, end of this, like, scale, so 50 people is, like, seven times seven uh, in Agile. Uh, agile uh, thinking seven is typically, uh, like, a good figure for team size. So if you have uh, seven, seven uh, managers uh, who each have a team of seven, so that's about 50. So uh, that's just, that's, uh, like, a, some rule that that's, about where you have to be. Of course, you might have five times 10 or whatever, but that's not important. So uh, then again, scaling up, you have two, uh, two problems there. Uh, you have to be fast, but at the same time, uh, scaling up with new people and getting new, uh, especially new, very senior people in, or quite senior people, they always bring their uh, luggage with them. So they always have a history and they always have a management style they uh, liked and so on. It's uh, very important to get a good 
uh, good fit uh, on the management team and uh, uh, so you can't really hire them too fast. So you have to have a clear plan in your head that, okay, so I, I have to uh, have this kind of an organization. So my organization is going to have these functions. It's going to have these people here. Uh, and then, uh, which is most crucial for me at which stage. Uh, and then uh, at the same time, uh, which can I, uh, which can I do like uh, with, with the current team, just maybe uh, uh, not having the perfect, perfect fit at the time, but having uh, like a good enough fit for a certain period of time. But it's important to have the plan. So what, what would your uh, organization look like? Uh, and then of course, that's not something you know for certain, uh, because of course, then there's other kind of, you can't really pivot in a, like a, uh, in the customer sense that you change your customers and all that because you've got a sizable business already. But uh, what you can do is of course pivot then uh, in the organization a bit. Uh, and I really just says that you do that as early as possible. Uh, so you might have some departments that you end up then uh, merging or then you see that uh, something's not working out and so on. So that's something you should really be very conscious of. But it's important to have some model and talk about the model with uh, with uh, with your mentors and with other uh, startups and so on, and try to structure it around some uh, model that also then you can uh, uh, communicate uh, to your to your uh, own people because it's important that everybody's got to buy in that this is the kind of organization we want. Because naturally, when you bring in then middle management, that means that somebody who's going to be us, uh, who's previously worked with you, is not going to be working with you anymore. They're going to be working with some new guy coming from some large corporation, not understanding the culture and so on. So then you really have to like have to buy in that hey, this is a good thing. Uh, and this, from my from my uh, experience, you should uh, like. You should expect that about even even as high as fifty percent of the people who were there uh, working for that department and were really happy before the manager was hired might then uh, turn around because the it just changes things. You have to start mm -hmm. having processes and it's not as agile anymore and it's not the same feeling maybe. Got it. And and, so, what, and yeah. what were the main pillars on your executive team when you were going with a 50 people organization? So what were for you the main pillars uh, of your executive team at that stage? Uh, so uh, well, the, oh, for me, uh, sales is always first. So uh, uh, I love sales, but uh, sales is always first. So uh, uh, have, having that part uh, and, uh, and having a very good team in sales both uh, in the executive part, but also in the management. That's been always my uh, number one focus. Mm -hmm. uh, then uh, other than the, uh, other, from outside sales, then uh, uh, for me, it's really important to have the uh, product and engineering part uh, well mm -hmm. thought of. Uh, and that is something that we've worked a lot on. So uh, because mm -hmm. that includes not just the, like the managers, but also the architects uh and uh there's a lot of lot of uh uh like uh outside management things that you have to think about the, in the leadership on that uh half. uh and then uh the uh, union between for me uh so this the sales and engineering is basically the uh is the 
core of the business, but mm-hmm. then who are my business partners? Uh, my business partners are then uh, uh, finance and talent. Uh, we call HR talent mm-hmm. uh, because we don't have resources. Uh, we have only champions, of course. Uh, right. So, uh, so finance and talent are, are, are really, really my business partners. Then in uh, working and uh, figuring out the best way to both uh, develop our metrics and then uh, also educate and develop our people. Got it. Thanks, Oli. And 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 Thor, what what do you think are what were the main pillars for you at at that stage of the company when you were fifty? Yeah, so um, to build up your C-level team is very important. It doesn't happen overnight, but you should have a plan, you know, what you need. And and so you keep looking for that. So so for me, I was the only senior manager for a long time. But then the first one I got in was a CTO. I'm not a developer. I, I do understand the code and so on, but I'm not like that. So the first very important high level we got into our company uh, was a CTO. Um, and he took over. This is uh, two, two and a half years ago. Um, and he did really well. So that was the first area that I could like, you know, yeah. didn't have to look at. And and there's also a, a big change where you have to accept that someone else has taken over, even though you think you know better than you. You simply just got to let, you know, someone else take care of it and maybe do it his way and change fundamentally how you think things are, but he knows better. So you have to trust that. Um, so CTO was, was important. And then... Um, and then I got a CSO in, and again, sales is important. So get someone in there to to take responsibility of that. And also, we were in a phase of development, so I needed a, a senior person to come in and and help us invent how to sell. And it wasn't until a year ago, half a year ago, that we really understood exactly how to sell. Now we are getting more country-specific sales manager in because now we know exactly how to sell and. We know our KPIs and we know the recipe of how to sell. How many meetings do we need? How many salespeople do we need? How much does a salesperson have to do every day? So now we have the, yeah, the recipe of exactly how to scale and, and sell. So that's why we just need someone to follow KPIs. Then as Oli uh, also said, the, the CFO, I was very lucky of getting a very young uh, guy in very early who did not have experience, but was very good at numbers and excel and so on so i and he was very strict and thorough and with you know all the numbers which was very it was a pain but it was a good thing which i'm not um so he was really good and very young and everything but he didn't have the last 20 percent of of uh being on the board and so on um so i got a cfo in um, eight months ago and and that really again changed a lot i can just completely leave all finance to him and doesn't have, don't have to think about that. So I'm the CEO and, and, and it should be, you know, I should be in a situation where there's no need for me. Of course, there always is. But, mm-hmm. uh, but you should really look at it like that, that you have a CSO, you have a CFO, a CTO, so what's left? And then, of course, there's always problems and changing of things or strategic, you know, opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I always had this idea that whenever you have some work that can be described, you should have someone do it. The things you can't describe is what's left for you to fix. Um, and then it's just a matter of what level you need it. You know, is it some invention and so on? Or is it, you know, do you know how to do it? So you just need someone to follow the KPIs and the, and the goals. 
Uh, or do you need someone to help you build the goals? That's, you know, the difference between what level you need. Yeah, um, so, yeah. And for, uh, um, you, you're talking about the CTO and um, when do you think it's the right moment to start separating a little bit the, the CTO and the, the, the CPO? Uh, or do you think that this role should be in the same person in, the, in a certain way? So no, for us, we, we don't, we don't. Yeah, so we don't have a, it under the same. So I have a head of product uh, and I have a CTO and they are both under me. So uh, right. and I, it should be continued like that. I find it very important to have this uh, uh, different ways of uh, separate things. I like the battle, you know, between mm -hmm. them, uh, the discussion of priority, the things <laughs> important that, that comes out. Uh, it's super important that it is not like put under someone and then just one guy reporting. So I, I like, you know, that it's separated and they both refer to me. Got it. And, and Oli, um, do you also have a CPO and a CTO or head of products and a CTO or uh, it's both functions are under one person? Uh, at the moment, both functions are under person, uh, mm -hmm. under one person, uh, but that is not the perfect way. That is, uh, uh, since we changed our strategy uh, last year, uh, mm -hmm. now we are uh growing fast and also uh profitable uh so that is one of the investments we'll be doing actually this year now got it but at the moment uh, we have one person here mm -hmm. and uh it, it's it's curious uh, no one is talking about marketing why <laughs> maybe oh uh, uh, yes you mean marketing yes marketing well, we, we haven't had the need for marketing that much. Uh, we are a business-to-business -business company that help restaurants, but we also do their marketing on their behalf. So we actually have a lot of marketing towards business consumer, but we do it in the brand of the restaurant. I'm, I just hired a CMO. He starts in two weeks from now. Um, very, very senior guy to take over the business-to-consumer marketing. Until now, our way to the market has not been marketing and not that much lead gen from Google and so on. We do it the old-fashioned way where we, where we are calling and we are selling like real old-fashioned business-to-business instead of just waiting for leads coming in. But we are now stepping up in that game and we are to get a person uh, only you know, doing business-to-business, -business, not so much marketing because you know, when you look at business-to-business, -business, marketing you might as well just call lead gen because that's what it's all about. You know, you're not, it's not branding and so on. It's all about getting leads. Um, and we get some, but we don't get, you know, one tenth of what we could get. So, but yeah, I just got in the CMO, but it's actually mostly um, to help our restaurants do better marketing in their name. Got it. I think uh, also this, uh, like why, why marketing wasn't uh, mentioned before is that because we talked about uh, a little bit of a smaller scale. Uh, I, I, uh, I agree with Thor there that uh, in the scale, like on, when you are under 50 people, uh, marketing is pretty much region. Uh, then uh, going past the 50, then it of course depends a little bit on, uh, on the business. But uh, for us, uh, marketing has become a very strategic point uh, and uh, a focus point as well, because then uh, when you when we are going to uh, different markets, uh, who knows who knows the customers better than uh, even sales in the new new market is marketing. Uh, 
which then helps us, uh, for example, now scout out uh, new, new markets. We are scouting out uh, uh, Spain and, and the UK, where we are now, uh, and that's basically on our, on our, uh, our table that's on marketing. And then also, then uh, it's also uh, then joint joint effort with the product uh, and product team. Uh, to look at like where where is the product market fit and what 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 are the trends and what kind of uh, new new things are happening on the market in general. Uh, but then like purely like uh, marketing as a marketing under 50, organization under fifty people in my experience has been region and it's not a, a strategic function but rather a sales support function. Uh, and then growing past fifty. Uh, then it it uh, changes. Got it. And so let's let's go to the to the last stage from fifty to one hundred. Of course, then we could discuss the <laughs> the, the later stages. Uh, but uh, from fifty to one hundred, what was the the most important and the most challenging for you um, in your business? Uh, Tor, would you like to come back? Yeah. So. I think when you hire managers and C level and so on, it's you know it's very challenging. You do a lot of uh, you know uh, interviews and so on, and you need a recruiter to you know do personal tests and so on. So that is how you do that. Uh, when you scale from 50 to 100, you need to be able to hire people working you know on the ground doing something. Uh, when I had the um, language wire, we had 25 project managers and we had 20 sales guys you know, the same kind of person that just did the same over and over. So what, what I find important is that you make a system that is easy to use. They know exactly what to do every day. And that's why you can hire easier, uh, normal people. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be champions, just normal people uh, that, you know, has the contact to the, to the rest, to the customers and just need to do so-and-so in every day. So if you have to hire super brilliant people, from 50 to 100, it's going to be super hard. It's going to be super expensive. Um, so, I mean, the, the most beautiful thing would be that if you didn't have to hire anyone, then you have a truly scalable company. You know, you can just double your sales with no more people. That's That would be uh, super. <laughs> but, you know, you need people. You need uh, customer support and so on. Um, so to me, it's, it's important that you can actually embrace uh, many kinds of people because you have a great system and you have a great model and you can even explain to someone in support or someone in account management exactly what to do, clear goals. Uh, so they also get a great job where they know exactly what to do. They, they, can, they can themselves measure, you know, how they're doing. And we are building this just now. I mean, we're not completely there. In my old company, we were completely there. We had, as I said, 25 project managers. They knew exactly how, you know, what to do, but they could also in the system see how they were doing, also to compare it with the others, but just for themselves, they could see, you know, how much money am I making to the company? How well am I doing? And how can I improve? And I find that very important. So even scalability in the way you handle your employees, I think is important. And Oli, what do you yeah. think? Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree on uh, Tor's point. There, it's uh, totally like super. It's superstars until then, but then you really have to. Uh, it's a superstar organization. You have to really concentrate on the organization and uh, 
build it so that it's scalable in the sense that you can have uh, normal people uh, without without the superstar superstar or like uh, without the superpowers coming in. Uh, and this really requires uh, you you to have uh, good processes and you need to educate people and to appreciate that. Uh, there's a lot of uh, built-in knowledge in the organization already in the other ways that you work in, and you really have to educate people in those. And you also have to uh, have ownership in the organization so that uh, it's just not just your direct reports who have ownership, but rather you build a culture of ownership and of caring uh, about your customers and caring about your business. And of course, to be able to care about them, then of course it's uh, what thought here earlier said that then you have to have the KPIs open, uh, and how how we uh, have tackled this uh, is that we've uh, really tried to open everything up. So even our weekly meetings, management team weekly meetings, we open all the material up to our employees so they can see what's happening around them, how we are doing, uh, and also see that what what is uh, important and what's going on at the moment. And then uh, also it's the, for for myself, the hardest part has been the over-communication that you really, really, really need to over-communicate because when you've said it once, uh, maybe uh, 25% of the people have heard it. Uh, you have to say it uh, seven, seven, eight, nine times in order to get your message through and people to really appreciate your uh, your strategy and your uh, mission, vision, and targets. And it's uh, just so much, so important at this stage. So I think like from 50, 50 people upwards, then you uh, really become uh, become a real organization. Uh, uh, and it's, uh, you can't, it's not playing around anymore, like pivoting and uh, then you have to have uh, uh, strict uh, strict guidelines uh, for certain things and then uh, ownership on on uh, other things and uh, schedules and workflows and <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. all that and it's uh, it's like people working together uh, working together uh, which you have to concentrate in mm-hmm. but then it's uh, it's it's hard but it's very different from the previous uh, in in my experience uh, and here I, I think the biggest learning also is that uh, uh, up until this point you can fluctuate on your strategy you can more build on uh, and we we had had an agile strategy for example uh, where we uh, shift focus uh, on a yearly basis earlier but at this stage uh, when you are doing uh, now we're doing the 10 million a year, uh, and we we uh, are focusing on also being uh, profitable. It mm-hmm. it means that you really can't be shifting around. You have to have a clear strategy uh, for two three years onwards. To also then of course provide the backing to the financiers because it's uh, previously you could if something went wrong, uh, you could uh, just work a little bit harder, uh, or your management team could just work a little bit harder. To cover it, like cover the uh, costs and all that, but at this scale, it's like uh, then the the problems are always also larger. So you have to do some uh, some uh, risk management uh, and think about those parts, and that's why you have to have a solid 
solid, well sort of strategy behind what you're doing. And, and when do you think, do you think that um, still under one Android, we need to start having a strong uh, third layer management or uh, mid management layer, uh, which is really accountable, uh, which takes ownership. Um, so when does the importance of the mid management starts to be really relevant uh, when scaling up from what stage in your opinion? Uh, well, uh, from, I always have the seven rules. So, uh, so about seven people always, but uh, in, in my thinking, everybody should feel ownership. So uh, we should have only committed employees and committed them. You can't have committed employees if you uh, don't let them have ownership of whatever they are doing and whatever they are responsible for uh, ownership uh, comes from knowing what's uh, what's expected and what success looks like. If you know what, if if you are an employee, let's say you you are doing uh, you are, for example, uh, coding a certain part of the product, uh, then you really should know what success looks like, and you should get credit for it, uh, not just inside your team but publicly also inside the company. If you are in support and you've got really uh, and and if in support, for example, you get really good grades from your uh, customers, so they like you, uh, what they are, the service you are providing them, uh, you should get credit them and not just inside the team, but widely. And it's uh, like uh, it's uh, culture of uh, commitment, ownership, and giving thanks uh, mm. that uh, is, I think, very important, at least for us at the moment, to be growing up and uh, and really like building the culture we want. Got it. So very early on, and uh, as soon as you will start having the first managers, uh, helping them to own their own territories. Um, Tor, do you, do you want to add something? I, I think it's, I, I like the rule of seven people. I agree that it's very hard to manage more than that. Um, I think if you're 10 or 20, I think it's all about, you know, if you start having two or three people doing the same, you know, you could easily make one of them a leader uh, of the other two. So, but if you have 10 people doing different things, then it makes sense that they, they do their own and have their own ownership. So for me, it's, you know, the management is when you have an area or something where, where you have a couple of people working on the same project or even doing the same, then you have one, you know, lead project manager, you know, helping the others. So, yeah. So today we talked a lot about uh, people. We didn't talk too much about communication and execution, neither uh, strategy and cash, but it's impossible to cover uh, all the topics. We need to go for another conversation. But before uh, wrapping up, I would like to ask a final question, which is what were one of the most challenging or one of the most successful that we've, you've, you felt really well in um, the CEO role? Because it, it's a really lonely place to be. So what do you think were the best moments for you and the most challenging moments going from uh, 11 to 100 employees? Uh, Holly, would you like to start? <laughs> so would give some time to talk <laughs> to you. <laughs> or even Tor, if you already know, please feel free to move forward. Um, well, when I look at my company, um, I have two. Uh, I have, first of all, I like to say that the overcommunication. I completely agree with that. You think you communicate something once, and then people don't get it. If you really because it's so much in your head, but not in theirs. So I agree with that one. But that was not a super challenge. It's just a, a key discovery is that 
you really need to uh, over communicate the goals uh, and so on. For me, what was really hard in our company is that, you know, when you start getting customers, it's great. You have a lot of customers, they're happy. But to make the company scalable and unit economics has been a huge challenge for us. It's a completely other game. So one thing is that you invent a product, you get happy customers, they even want to pay for it. Uh, that's great. Going from there and then make a hyper growth company that is, you know, where you can attract investment. It's much harder than I thought. Um, seed investment is easier, you know, ah, great idea. Here's a little money from a business angel here and there. That's easier. Uh, but uh, getting a real venture capital company, uh, they really do their due, due diligence and they really want to make sure that if they put in a million here, then 10 comes out and you have to show the numbers that, that prove that. And that has taken me like one and a half year to get us there. I thought that one and a half year ago, we had a great case and look at the numbers, it looks great. But then when they really dig in, they can see that there's high churn or for us, it was more like the CAC versus lifetime value was not completely in sync. And then we, we had to fight that and find out how to sell cheaper or you know, get better prices and so on. So for me, the unit economics, getting the company from past you know, uh, product market fit and get it into a unit economics where you know, all the matrix was right, the CAC and the lifetime value and the churn and everything looked right. That was a completely other game than I expected it to be. Um, one thing is to be, have a great idea and get some customers and so on. That in itself is, is tough, uh, but then you nail that. And then if you really want to go into hyper growth, then you really got to know your numbers and get the CFO in and, and all that. And that was one thing for me. Another thing for me is the organization, to build it in the right pace, not too fast, not too early. Um, you know, you, you make some very expensive hires. So when can you afford that? Um, and then I would say now we were a couple of co-founders. Um, I think what is really hard is that if you are four co-founders, and I actually had that in both my companies, if you have three or four co-founders, you may split up, you know, you, you take, uh, you're the CEO and you can do the HR and you can do the finance and so on. But then when you grow, you find people that can do that better, of course, because you are just, uh, you know, a startup person uh, that are good at starting up. But at some point you need a real CFO, you need it. Maybe you even need a real CEO, you know? So I think what is very hard is that the founders of a company have to realize that they may not, you know, be the C-level all the way. And, 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 and that has happened in my company um, also in both companies that, that we came to a point where in my first company with three guys starting it. And one of the guys were the administrative kind of person. He did the HR and finance and so on. But then we hired a finance, you know, genius and we had an HR director. And then he was like, so what's left for me kind of, you know? And, and I think you as a, as a founder, you have to be a, how do you say that? Uh, humble enough, you know, to say, yeah, someone, can always do a better job at a specific area than me, uh, probably. And that has been hard for me to, you know, arrange that, you know, made to tell a co-founder, you know, I think we should get a CTO taking over this because he is better than you. Uh, that's hard, you know? So I think that challenge of co-founders and maybe even me, you know, maybe the board would point at me at some time and say, I think we should get a real CEO at some point, you know? Yeah, maybe, you know? So, I think that 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 constant change of organization is 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 actually very hard. 
Fantastic. Next story. Oli, you have some time to think. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I, I, uh, looking back at the last five years, I think the, uh, uh, it, because it's been a, a good, good uh, success and a really, really nice success. Uh, I think the hardest part for me, uh, myself, was the recruit. Uh, People-wise, we crew up until uh, about 110 employees. Uh, and then we started looking at, okay, uh, what, what's the future for lead desk and so on? And we uh, uh, saw ourselves more as a growth company than a startup at that point, uh, which also then involved uh, bringing the, uh, bringing the uh, profits in or the not the profits per se, but like bringing the cash flows positive instead of uh, burning the investor monies uh, only. Uh, and at that point, uh, at that point, then uh, scaling, scaling, scaling the business up at the same time that uh, that having to scale the organization down and managing that, and at the same time keeping with the profits, that was uh, uh, both organizationally wise hard, and then personally, of course, uh, uh, stressful. Uh, then again, I think coming out of that, uh, we measure our employee NPS. On a uh, like ongoing basis, uh, and then looking at uh, six months after, we sort of started seeing a, a rise in our NPS and our NPS uh, employee NPS uh, went way higher, and is way higher than it was before. And I think this really like uh, this uh, or, uh, organizational crisis in the sense uh, also helped us to uh, focus on the strategy and uh, really on the important things and uh, and going out of that I think it's uh, it was a hard project but at the same time it was so rewarding that uh, uh, that I, I think that must be Great, great reflections to end the conversation. Thank you so much, Oli and Tor. Uh, thanks also for the audience who has been watching us at Scale-Up Heroes. Uh, visit our page at scaleupacademy.io to learn more about scaling up. If you find these live shows valuable, please hit that like button and share today's show. Your host, Randy Cottrell, is back next week. Uh, I'm sure you will join. Uh, as we will be talking about scaling marketing with Force Manager, Olidu, Universe, and Chinetta. Awesome scale-ups from Barcelona, Munich, Amsterdam, and Oslo. So have an inspiring week and keep scaling.